Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purple Heart Homes presents Putting the Pieces Back Together, a forum for veterans and the community to connect. Here are your hosts. Veterans John Galena and Brad Borders. Oh boy, what a show we have for oh. you today. Mm. Mm. I have been waiting for this show for weeks and weeks now. I it think is, you've, been waiting, so you've been waiting this all your life. Well, anytime I can talk about the 30th Brigade, yeah. then it's Here a we great go. day. It yeah, great for those day. that don't know, it's you're going to know. So. That's right. It's you're going to know. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I think there might even be a Facebook meme going around about that. There probably is. There probably yeah. is. Well, welcome to Putting the Pieces Back Together, presented by Purple Heart Homes. Purple Heart Homes is a 501c3 based out of Statesville, North Carolina. It seeks to improve the lives of veterans through safety and accessibility renovations to their homes and solving Veteran homelessness, you can find out more about us at phhusa.org. That is phhusa.org. Today, we have one of my favorite people that of all time, Colonel Retired Vernon Simpson, affectionately known as Sonny, uh, or otherwise known as uh, Hickory Six. And so we're, uh, we're thankful for him uh, taking time to uh, come join us today. Uh, I tell you, one of the things I love so much about Sonny is he served in every, nearly every enlisted position in field artillery before he attended officer candidate school. For those of you that don't know, that would be a Mustang, someone that served in the enlisted ranks and then uh, became an officer in the military. He earned his commission from the North Carolina Military Academy in 1994 as a leadership graduate from officers candidate school. Uh, He has been through the Combined Armed Staff Services School, the Command and General Staff Officers course, and the United States Army War College. He served in positions from rifle platoon leader uh, through the brigade combat team and ultimately culminated his distinguished career as the commander of the 30th Armored Brigade Combat Team. His numerous awards include the Legion of Merit with Oak Leaf Cluster and the Bronze Star Medal and the Combat Action Badge. We're so excited to hear from Sonny today and learn about his service and what led him into the service and what it was like uh, commanding the brigade that he served in for 30 years. I think that's great. I think we should make a banner about that, the 30th for 30 years. I mean, I just think that's so cool. So welcome, Sonny. I'm not even sure what to do with all of this. This is just going to (laughs) be the 30th Brigade. Is this is the 30th Brigade radio show? Welcome, 30th Brigade radio show. Welcome. We are also joined by Tim Mangum, the Chief Administrative Officer at Purple Heart Home. But Tim is also a retired Lieutenant Colonel in the National Guard. and um, also served in the 30th, 30th right? <laughs> and so uh, uh, also field artillery, op- artillery officer. Um, went to the Military College of Vermont. Uh, that is a, an illustrious school, so I'm told. Um, and uh, um, he spent five years on active duty, uh, Fort Seal, Fort Hood in Germany, um, Bosnia, and, and, um, and then on active duty uh, with the National Guard. A um, couple of deployments and uh, retired as a lieutenant colonel. Now, each and every day, he tells everybody what to do at Purple Heart Homes, and um, with a smile on his face and uh, and, uh, and joy in his heart. So, welcome to you, brother Tim Mank. Glad to be here. He he, he missed us so much, and uh, being in the guard with us, and being our commander in the guard, that he had to come come work over at Purple Heart Homes just to tell us what to do. That's right. It's That's great. exactly right. Feels good. It's great, awesome. Welcome, great having everybody. You. It's great having y'all here today. So, uh, Sonny, let's start with you and uh, share a little bit about yourself and uh, your family, and, and then we can get into talking about the 30th. I'll be happy to do that. The, the one thing, and thanks for reading the canned bio, that's a little bit embarrassing, but the thing that you <laughs> left off of the bio was married for 34 years and have a beautiful daughter. There that's, you go. Uh, very independent and, and are on her own. Um, yeah, so thank you for the invitation to be here. I I never in my life thought that I would spend 30 years in the uniform. That just wasn't something that I had planned to do. Uh, I guess we'll get into it a little bit, how I ended up in, in the National Guard. But I'll, I'll tell you, 
it was a maybe a panic moment in December before I was going to graduate in June. I had no plan. I, I thought I wanted to go to college, and the Guard looked like a good way to do that. My cousin was doing that, so I enlisted, went to basic training, and tried to be in the Guard and work a full-time job and go to college and struggled. And after two years and in a, a small minor deployment to Italy in 86, I decided that wearing a uniform full-time was better for me, and, mm-hmm. and the rest is history. I just hung on for the ride, and next thing you know, 30 years are gone, and, and, yeah. and here we sit. Yeah. Well, thank you for your service, brother. Uh, it was, I, I'll honestly tell you, it was an honor to serve, and that you know, the friendships that you make and that crazy guy sitting over there, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit. You know, those are the I'm things sure. that, that help you get through the tough times. I'm sure. I'm sure. Y'all, y'all are kind of like the uh, officer version of the uh, specialist mafia. Yeah, that's a <laughs> decent way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> o- 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 yeah. mafia. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. The O4 mafia. Yeah, if there could be a sham shield that looked like an oak, oak leaf, we would We are using be. all kinds of idioms that folks may not know what they mean, like sham shield sure. and uh, O4 mafia and E4 mafia. So uh, there's a lexicon uh, that you can find uh, out there on the Internet somewhere. So there you go. And if um, you have any specific questions, feel free to uh, just connect with us on the Facebook feed. For sure. Um, and, um, hey, uh, uh, Colonel Mangum, uh, fill us in on your story. Graduated in 94 as well, commissioned at Norwich where home of the ROTC was. So, yes, it was illustrious, sir. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. No, um, <laughs> That's where I met my lovely wife. She was attending Norwich as well, but she was on the civilian side. I was on the military campus. Um, got married soon after that. Um, went to Germany for three years. Did a Bosnia tour there. Uh, I was deployed so much, 18 of 33 months there. I was like, this isn't going to work as a family. And so I said, I'll, I'll reconsider CONUS and did one more uh, try on active duty at first cab at Hood and uh, they're like, we're getting ready to go to Bosnia again. I'm like, I'm out. I can't. But I was always green, so I wanted to stay in. So before I actually got a job in North Carolina, I got to North Carolina, I found this 113th Field Artillery and started reaching out. And that gentleman over there is the one that did my oath to North Carolina um, when we were both captains kind of coming in 1999. So that's nice. when I first met Sonny. Yeah. And the uh, rest is history, as he said. You know, it's pretty cool. Um, did 18 years in the North Carolina Guard, 23 total. So Yeah, yeah, and both of you had a couple of tours uh, across the pond during OIF. And uh, um, speaking of that, and that's kind of what brings us all together today, um, today is, um, is John's Alive Day. Um, John and Dale, uh, on, on this day, back in 2004, um, ran over an uh, uh, anti-tank mine in their, in their Humvee. Um, and they lived. And uh, for, for those of us in the military, when, when something like that happens and, and, you, and you don't go to the great by and by, no, we call it the, your alive day, your second birthday. Um, and one of the things that we like to say and the, the reason that Purple Heart Homes exists um, is because of that alive day. Uh, had John and Dale not been blown up that day and Dale not be severely injured, losing both of his legs, Um, the idea for Purple Heart Homes would have never come about uh, because that was kind of the uh, the genesis of of this organization that now reaches across America, uh, helping veterans each and every day, um, was because our community uh, came around uh, Dale uh, in his time of need uh, when there were no organizations like this. And and so so, uh, while it's a... It's a day for us to uh, reminisce and, and celebrate uh, uh, us being alive. We also miss Dale very much. Unfortunately, Dale passed away on February 12, 2018. Uh, as a direct result of the injuries that, um, that he received um, uh, in the line of duty um, because amputees have problems with blood clots and, and Dale died of a pulmonary embolism. And so, uh, well, we, uh, there feels like, a, feels like there's an empty chair here, and, and there is. Um, but uh, we're here to, uh, to uh, remember that day and, and celebrate the fact that, that uh, God spared their lives that day and that Purple Heart Homes exists. And mm-hmm. um, so we like to say this, that their, the worst day of their lives was the best day uh, for uh, a, thousand, uh, a thousand other veterans, uh, a thousand veterans proje- veteran projects uh, that, uh, that we've completed. hopefully a thousand more to come. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. hopefully not before Christmas. Yeah, not yeah. definitely not before Christmas. <laughs> yes. Although I know Devil Dog's already in studio chomping at the bit to get another one accomplished. Yeah. 
So, uh, but that's why we're here today, and so we appreciate everybody tuning in. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. I, I just want to say uh, for for both of you, it's just uh, great leaders uh, preparing us to go into combat, and uh, you know, really leading leading the way, setting the example. I want to say thank you all. Uh, thanks to all the all the guys that uh, served with us there in Iraq, and uh, just for for my battle buddies, those uh, that helped honor their commitment to make sure that nobody was left behind. They made they brought us home and and uh, so many of them have rally around us to uh, help set us up for success as we've continued forward and so really appreciate all of that and so let's uh, let's get into some of you guys' service and talk about kind of what it what it was that you know stood out in your service uh, some of your most fond memories of, of your time in service and Sonny we'll we'll start with you and you know, 30 years of, of wearing the nation's uniform and, you know, serving in all these different positions. What's something that stood out for you as a, a, a significant memory? There's so many. You know, yeah. how, how do you how do you boil that down into a single memory? I don't know that you really can. Um, but uh, I'll tell you, I can, I can take you to the point in time when I first met Dale. Dale was that guy that when he walked in the room, you know, every, everyone just kind of realized that he was there, just his, that was his personality. And you were always there that it was, you talk about the, Reg talk about the E4 mafia, their squad was like that. And, and I quickly became aware that if you, as long as you saw them all together, you were fine. <laughs> but if you, but if you ever saw them individually, something There's was some, up, you know, shenanigans. somebody was running missing. a, you know, a deception yeah. mode, yeah. but, but, uh, <laughs> You know that I can take you back to you know mobilizing at Fort Bragg and just positive attitude. We were all it it sucked. It was just bad. You know everything about mobilizing was bad, except for the fact that we were all in it together, and right. that's just made it what was so much fun. Isn't that and what that, makes it good? The, the things that suck the most are better uh, uh, endured uh, if you got your buddy with you. Right? Yeah, and I you know I'd go back through it again because of that. As bad as it was, those were the good memories and uh just i, I don't know I'll, I'll i'll give that some thought and you know john maybe come back to me so do you, do you well i i just want to say do you got a funny story other than the e4 mafia you got a funny story that you can uh, regale us with well i'll tell you a, a good one about dale was um you know he um played the drums and i played the drums as as a kid growing up and i wasn't very good i, I wasn't good at all actually but dale didn't know that i wasn't very good because he never heard me play so I would always, every time I saw him, I would say, hey, man, when you're ready for those drum lessons, let me know, and I'll you know, school you up and teach you. <laughs> and then after he was wounded, we were doing a fundraiser down there at UNC Charlotte, and this was only six months after he was wounded. And um, his band came. He wasn't scheduled to play. And there, there were several other bands that were there playing, and they, they were not that great. And Outlaw 2-1 got on the stage, and they, they played, and then Dell got on the stage with them with, the, with his prosthetics. And just rocked it out, right? And uh, I mean, it was unbelievable. And that was just kind of how he was all the time. He didn't bring you up and make you play thank, badly. Thank God. Yeah. No. Okay. All right. <laughs> so the myth remains the myth to, <laughs> yeah. you know, to this day. Right. Yeah. Um, we got. We're coming up on a break, but uh, uh, Colonel Mangum, you got uh, one one quick funny story you could tell us about me, about Sonny, or about uh, Dale something John funny, or, man. Yeah. You know. um, well, we can get into even more funnier stuff later on. When we start talking about the deployment um but what i will say is my second deployment dale came down the armory i was on active duty as the xo preparing to to deploy the battalion and he was yelling where's mangum and so he come walking in and i'm like how are you taller than i just saw you your legs didn't grow and he had welded some stuff in his legs to get him taller i was like bro you just squeezed an inch or two in on me that's some that's some garbage there he was like yeah yeah i did it I was all proud of it yeah, of course he was yeah that's hilarious i remember the first time i saw him at the hospital he had just gotten his uh, prosthetics and and he stood up to shake my hand, and the first thing he said was, oh, hell no, this ain't going to work. I am not going to look up to you. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So was, that was uh, when he went to work with, like, his welding torch? And, and Well, at that point, he was still in the hospital, <laughs> yeah. so he had to get yeah. the doctor's permission. But once he got home, he was all about modifying his own prosthetics. He, it was just great. It was just he really did great. have a great sense of humor <laughs> with that regard. Yeah. 
And that was, a, that was another funny story. We helped a veteran, Dave Morale, a few years later in one of our first projects, and he said something very similar. He went in and uh, he had his doctor uh, raise him up so that he could look us eye to eye. And yeah, yeah. Vietnam veteran, just a great guy. Well, it's time for our break. Uh, you are listening to Putting the Pieces Back Together, presented by Purple Heart Home. Stand by, and we're going to be hearing from Devil Dog Devin about our project of the week and how you can get involved to support veterans in your community. You're listening to Putting the Pieces Back Together by Purple Heart Homes. To donate and support, visit purpleheartholmesusa.org. There's always a moment of truth where I say, look, it's either put up or shut up. And it was time to put up. I had crossed that thin line. It was 100 plus degrees. We were hot. We were on fire. We were yelling our hearts out. You could feel the intensity rising. Even in our tiredness, even in our weakness, even in our pain, we continue to push. I told myself, you can suck up the pain for another mile and a half, and you will be a Marine. Not many people believe that I could do it. I don't know where I got the energy from. I don't know where the pain went to. But all I know is that I had what it took. I am a United States Marine. PFC Darrell Willis serves his country as a Marine. Will you? Visit Marines.com or call 1-800-MARINES. The few, the proud, the Marines. Hey, welcome back to Putting the Pieces Back Together, presented by Purple Heart Homes. You can find out more about us at phhusa.org and how you can help a veteran. Um, Well, we've got the newly married Devil Dog Devin. He's an honest man now. So. Can, can you call well, a Marine an honest man? I don't know. I don't know. His beloved wow. Amber made an honest man of him on Saturday, and uh, yeah. yep. and he's basking in the glow of wedded bliss of now four whole days. Being, four days, being, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I noticed that uh, Amber, she's actually listening on, <laughs> online, making sure that he's doing everything Oh, correctly. yeah. Uh, well, he is married. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Uh, yeah, y'all are gonna get me in trouble. I, I it's only been four Listen, days. Hey, I, I think y'all say, need to. You don't need us to get you in trouble. <laughs> Probably so, right. not. I'm no. I'm good enough to yeah, do that how, by myself. How but, dare so. you? <laughs> so, Devil Dog, what kind of good good stories you got for us today? Well, uh, we we've got two projects to talk about with you, um, and. Uh, one of them, the first one is in Georgia. We're going to talk about Staff Sergeant Whiteside, regular Army. She's uh, automated logistics, and she come back from Iraq. She's got PTSD, a uh, little bit of back trouble, and she's struggling with her HVAC systems. I said systems, as in two. Both of them was giving her problems, and she reached out to us, and we're it's, it's close to the end of the year, and uh, them coffers are getting low, but... Thankfully, um, Home Depot had, had given us uh, some gift cards, and we were able to use their uh, Home Depot uh, program with their pros, and uh, we got some folks out there, repaired her HVAC systems. Actually, I think we, we installed two brand new ones, one in the upstairs, one downstairs, and, man, she's good to go for winter. She's warm and dry. Warm and dry, yeah, absolutely. That's a good place to be. Uh, but who's having some issues with their house is uh, Butch Rooker out there in Louisiana. And this fella, oh my gosh, when you talk about a hero, he was shot down three times. We we, we just talked about your alive day, um, and Butch has had three alive days. Three times shot down in Vietnam. And and that's just tremendous. He kept going back. In a helicopter? In a helicopter. And and he is he's descended from from uh, a, a relative in every war, his father World War II and Korea. His other uh, his brother was in Vietnam with him. His youngest brother, twenty year Marine, was in Afghanistan. I mean, we're He's talking like Lieutenant Dan. I, yeah, yeah, absolutely, he is. He's the real life Lieutenant Dan. He's got his legs and and a mouth on him too. <laughs> yeah. But he is a great guy, uh, and I've had contractors out there working with him. They can't just can't tell me enough good things about him, but his foundation, his floor was falling in, and we got his foundation repaired, but he still needs a floor. And if you'd like to help Butch, 
you could go directly to phhusa.org, and we've got a link right there. We're doing a targeted campaign. Help him out. Click that button. Give him some money so we can get his floor fixed. Um, he, he deserves it. Great. Well, thank you so much, Devil Dog Devin, and uh, you do such a great job, and the entire project management team is just knocking it out of the park. Uh, 190 projects completed this year for veterans all around the nation. We just could not be more thrilled to be able to uh, serve those that are in need that have uh, fought for our nation and for our freedom. So thank you all for, for what you do fighting for them every day. So we are here, uh, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Putting the Pieces Back Together, presented by Purple Heart Homes. We are joined today by retired Colonel Simpson and retired Lieutenant Colonel Mangum, uh, both of which served in the famed 30th Brigade and have defended our nation for generations. And so uh, we're doing everything that we can to you know, uh, I was doing a little, get, get uh, Brad fired little, up here I today. I did a little research on the uh, 30th Brigade, and I found out these interesting tidbits. Took the 30th while. Brigade was uh, instrumental in these battles. The Battle of Tours, the Battle of Hastings, <laughs> the Battle of Antietam, the Battle of Agincourt, the Battle of Actium, uh, Thermopylae. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, that wasn't us. Oh, that was, that oh. was a different 30th. That was the 30th Air Force. Oh, is that what that was? <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, I had to do that. David's so. army. I mean, yeah, that's you know. right. Yeah, yeah Gideon. That's right. Gideon. Uh, you know, and, he drafted and the thirtieth. Parker, Parker reminded me this morning that Noah was the captain of the thirtieth uh, Navy ship, and so I mean, that's that's it, right? Okay. Been, been a little bit of everywhere. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure, as you will regale us with more tales of grandeur. <laughs> maybe right. delusions of grandeur, maybe. Well, so. before we get to all of that, let's uh, let's turn back to Colonel Simpson. And, uh, sir, if you would, share with us a little bit about what it was like uh, when we deployed, if I recall correctly, you are Battalion S3 for the 113th Field Artillery. What was it like preparing troops to uh, deploy uh, to combat? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, leading up to, that was in 2003 when all that went down. And, of course, the ground war started uh, actually while we were preparing for the National Training Center. So we were already on a, a, a training glide path. But back then it was, the training was all designed around large-scale combat operations. So we went to Fort Riley, Kansas and did a mission rehearsal exercise. And then we took the whole brigade out to the National Training Center in the desert and put tanks online and fought for 21 days. And then after the, the ground invasion was so successful, the mission changed. So when we were mobilized, I think the Army struggled to understand what our new structure would look like. So we, we quickly had to look at what the environment was going to be and then decide how do you prepare for that. And that's when you know Charlie Battery, for example, went from being a field artillery battery with platoons shooting field artillery to being motorized infantry. Um, so we went out and found Humvees, and, and we tried to take 13-series soldiers and make them 11-series soldiers so that they could, you know, hone their craft. And actually, it turned out very well because uh, I think soldiers, period, are resilient. They can adapt to almost anything, and, uh, and Bravo Battery and Charlie Battery, of course, went as motorized infantry. Alpha Battery went as a, a, as a true cannon uh, battery. There, we had a lot of help putting together training plans, but a lot of it was us just trying to work with the subordinate leaders and try to understand what we were getting ourselves into then how do you make sure that the soldiers are are ready to go and, and i tell you just I think we did uh, pretty well you know thinking back to uh just as, as you say you know that training glide path that regiment that we were going through i remember being at fort polk louisiana and mm. it was about february and maybe january somewhere in yeah. that time frame and and i remember laying on the ground doing some some you know, infantry training exercises, and, and it was so wet and so cold, my uniform froze to the ground, and I was thinking, we're not going to Iraq, we're going to Korea. <laughs> There's no way, and we're definitely not taking any guns. Yes. <laughs> so that was that was really, really great. And so, Tim, how about yourself? Uh, tell us, how, how did you and uh, Colonel Mango, uh, excuse me, Colonel uh, Simpson work together? What was, your, what was your role in the battalion at that time? Well, when we were alerted, um, I was still in command of Charlie Battery, but it had been on my three-year point, and uh, that gentleman over there is the one that pulled me up to battalion to help him run operations and do planning, and I was kicking and screaming and crying leaving the battery. Um, but it was time, and there was other things in mind to, to do that. But got up there, and again, he was the boss, but we're best friends. I mean, it, it was, it's 
hard to kind of wrap yourself around that because it's not just like a regular, you know, major on active duty type thing. So it was the strength together and doing that. And then the training did suck. I mean, we talked about it, but it was good having someone else there to bounce things off of and do that. Yeah, and kicking and screaming and crying is something that you're used to doing anyhow, so <laughs> that's pretty awesome. So, uh, Only when dealing um, with you. Hey, if you've missed any part uh, of this show, you can find us on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. So, again, we are joined here with Colonel Simpson and Colonel Mangum, both retired and having served with both of you, you know, today being the alive day for Dale and I and uh, just understanding, you know, again, kind of recapping the day that we were injured and and what was it like for, for you all? Where were you all at? Because I, I wasn't with you, right? We were at a different forward operating base, but what was the experience like for, for you all, Sonny? Uh, I remember, you know, there's certain things in your life that you remember where you were and it's, and it's vivid and that and that day of, is one of them and uh to your point john we were the battalion was really spread across three operating bases in the in the primarily the diala province in iraq and and tim and i were down in the southeast corner bravo battery was kind of middle and then you guys were up in the north in, near Tikrit. um and, and tim and i spent the majority of our time on the deployment working with the Iraqi Army National Guard. And that's, uh, we trained and mentored about a thousand Iraqis and then did combat operations with them. On that particular day, we had been out working with them that morning and then we had come back. Uh, and typically, a typical day for us was uh, operations in the morning, very very early in the morning, a little bit of, of a break during the day to kind of catch up on things and then get back at it in the afternoon. Well, when we came in during that that midday break is when we received word that we'd had a you know, had the instant and uh you know tim tim having just come from charlie battery i i knew you know when i heard the call sign i knew charlie 21 i knew who it, basically it was and i knew all of the soldiers in the unit but it didn't resonate with me as quickly who it was that it was you mm-hmm. and dale and, and but tim immediately knew um you know, I, I just got to say, you know, for our listeners, our my, my relationship with, with at least with you, sir, goes back to my very initial enlistment into the service. I, you know, spent some time going back through different awards and different orders, and your name is on almost every single one of them. Even your Article 15. Uh, probably. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> probably. Right. There multiple, was, there was multiple Article 15. But most, yeah. of those, most of those were while I was serving with Tim, and I think he was saying, I want to own every other guide on in the in the battalion and so i would i would just be the one that would be tasked to go get them i don't know how that i don't know how that worked very effective <laughs> what, what 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 everybody's saying is that john are you easily influenced is that what it i is? follow orders oh okay right. <laughs> my good leaders so so tim what were you, what were your immediate thoughts here i mean how, how did this affect you and and what was the impact that initially that it had? Tough. Um, going back a little bit in the training, um, when we did the warfighter exercise at Bragg, uh, the first casualty we had was a Humvee blew up, and it was Charlie Battery. Mm. It was for a KIA, and that really kicked me in the gut. And I was like, man, it was training, but we're going to war. It made it more real. So that day, though, like Sonny was saying, I remember sitting there because I was doing the orders. I was trying to redeploy the battalion back, move material troops back to Kuwait because we were going to redeploy in December. And the phone rang. One of the soldiers got it. Hey, sir, uh, you got a call. I was like, I'm busy. Take a message. I'm I'm working. It's Lieutenant Barr. He said he needs to talk to you now. Chris was my XO in Charlie Battery. So I was like, went over there and got it. And he said, and he, he broke down. He said, hey, sir, uh, we just had a Humvee blow up. We had three wounded right now. And, and I said, who is it? And mentioned y'all's names. And I dropped to a knee and just kind of broke down. I mean, <laughs> Those are my guys, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not there. And, Brad, you know you've talked about survivor's guilt and all that kind of sure. stuff. And I wasn't there to help, you know, help fix this stuff. But what do you do? Um, so very tough. And ironically, um, the commander that took over after me kept my wife in the family readiness group position. I literally had to call officially back to her to let her know so she can start help with that process. It was kind of surreal there as well. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, Tim, I just want to give a shout-out to uh, you, you mentioned that there were three of us that were injured. Uh, Brian Duckett was uh, with us, uh, a battle buddy who had only joined the unit days before we started our deployment process, a uh, young soldier, and uh, continues to uh, grow, live out his uh, best life. And so give a shout-out to Brian as well. I'm sure he's mm-hmm. out there listening today and yeah, as so, we've been texting. Yeah, and, and um, uh, Ryan Pennington, who um, was, I guess, was in the truck in front of you guys yep. and, and was a uh, trained medic. And um, Chris Williams. Chris Williams, Chris yep. Williams, uh, who uh, were on the scene right after that happened and, and provided, uh, you know, life-saving care to Dale because – he he had um, uh, I mean, immediate life-threatening injuries, and so uh, it's all um, so connected. Ryan was my driver for three years. We happened to be on vacation separately, ran into each other in the middle of Florida, and ironically, Sonny calls me. I know never go to the beach and pick a call up from Sonny because I've been deployed. You know, all kind of different mm-hmm. things called up. Uh, it's just how everything's connected is just really something. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. I was I was watching a video last night. Um, there's a um, a guy, the Staff Sergeant Belavacqua, who uh, was awarded the Medal of Honor um, um, some years ago, and uh, he's he's kind of gotten to the point where he is he's speaking a lot about his experiences. And um, one of the things that he said, and, and and we go back to the the training aspect of it, where where you had a Humvee blow up in training, and it was a notional KIA. Um, but one of the things that he said in this video was like um, that he learned from a Vietnam veteran is that you have to picture yourself when you go to combat as not coming home. You have to mm-hmm. you have to train your mind. And he said and, and he said and this guy told him, he said, just imagine your family um, at home uh, and, the, and the knock on their door. Um, with, the, with the guys in the monkey suits mm-hmm. to deliver the bad news. Imagine your funeral. Um, and he said, once, once you're able to uh, pull all of those pieces together and understand that you're not coming home, you feel like that you're not coming home, then you're able to do your job uh, over there. And that's why, that's why the training um, is, is so critical um, and, um, and, and bringing those real-life experiences so that, so that people can actually uh, get accomplished what they're, what they're going to get accomplished and what they need to get accomplished. Because if you're in a, in a mode of self-preservation all the time, um, the, the mission doesn't get done, mm. right? And, yeah. uh, and so you have to prepare yourself mentally for that. Sonny, I think when we, when we come back uh, from break here in, here in a minute, um, what I'd like to know about is, um, is transition and how do, you, how do you bear the burden as a leader, uh, you know, uh, sending your folks uh, in harm's way and then dealing with the aftermath of that. Um, if you could think about that for a minute, we'll do that after we get back from the break. And, uh, again, you're listening to Putting the Pieces Back Together, presented by Purple Heart Homes. And uh, you can find out more about us at phhusa.org. And as we uh, as we transition here, let me just say, both of you, thank you for being here. I know this is a really tough topic and look forward to hearing more uh, in, in the next segment here. But I want to tell you thank you because being here makes it easier as you're surrounded by those you appreciate, respect, and love to be able to deal with uh, these types of issues. So thank you. Yes, sir. You're listening to Putting the Pieces Back Together by Purple Heart Homes. To donate and support, visit purplehearthomesusa.org. Nearly 7 million Americans abuse prescription drugs like pain relievers, tranquilizers, and stimulants, and many get them from friends and family. So it's important to keep your prescriptions out of the wrong hands. To help prevent misuse and abuse, never share or borrow medication. Don't store prescriptions in a bathroom cabinet because of humidity. Plus, it gives visitors access to your medicine. Use a dresser drawer or secure storage spot instead. And if you can't find a disposal drop-off site near you, when you throw pills away, pour coffee grinds on top to make it undesirable. You can also apply safe practices to protect your health and safety. Record and understand your own prescription information. Be your own advocate and ask your pharmacist and doctor for help. And always take your medication according to the instructions. When purchasing medications, use trusted sources like your local pharmacy. And if buying online, use VIPs accredited pharmacies. For accredited online pharmacies, drug disposal sites, and more, visit awarerx.org, a public service from the National Association of Boards of Pharmacy Foundation. 
All right, we are back here putting the pieces back together, presented by Purple Heart Homes with our special guest, retired Colonel Sonny Simpson and retired Lieutenant Colonel Tim Mangum. Uh, thank you both, gentlemen, for joining us. Uh, we've been discussing a live day and service and, and schooling and preparation for combat and all these different things. And, Brad, you had a, a really interesting question. I'm, I'm anxious to hear the response and uh, from. And, and so, Sonny, if you would uh, share a little bit about what it's like uh, reintegrating and 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 as a leader dealing with some of these issues as as you've come home and transitioned. Let me talk about that first. So in in the moment when you have a catastrophic event such as what we dealt with, you can't you can't let it define you. You have to continue the mission because if you do anything other than continue the mission, you put everyone else at risk. So if you're in a firefight and you take contact and someone's injured, you don't just stop the firefight and tend to the wounded. You have to continue the mission so in training when you go through all of those repetitions it becomes that muscle memory that that's just that's just how you are um and and you you don't stop necessarily in the moment and think about it and let it affect you but i think that's part of the issue is much later that does built up and you have to you have to deal with it you have to address it and i think watching the way that you and dale responded to what was a life-changing event was such a wonderful example for the rest of us because you know there's a lot of people that it could be an automobile accident and yet you, you know you have a have an injury or you have health issues or you have financial issues or something and it becomes woe is me type thing and that was never your attitude that was never certainly never Dale's attitude and you turned something that was could have been just a, a you know a tragedy into one of the best things that I've ever seen, mm-hmm. and I try to keep that in my mind whenever I'm starting to feel a little bit you know sorry for myself that hey look at you know look at what this is look look at the life that's that God's given us mm-hmm. and uh and, and and try to turn you know a negative into a positive. I find that so interesting, you know, and just from my perspective, and and I appreciate very much what you're saying. But, um, you know, from my perspective, I think the same for Dale. We we had such a respect and appreciation for leaders that had trained us to be, you know, uh, overcomers and to adapt and and to serve others that, you know, we felt was kind of the expectation and and we didn't want to let everyone else down. Mm. Right. It was it was as much to. Um, make sure that other people weren't, oh, well, you know, they gave up, right? But it's how do we continue the mission as well? Yeah, I was thinking back to, uh, we had Nick Lavery on uh, a few weeks back, and Nick was a, uh, a friend from, uh, from my time in, in service, and Nick lost his leg in Afghanistan. And I and, uh, asked him one time after uh, I had an injury, um, I said, hey, man, how do, you, how do you define resilience? And he was, it's funny, he was at a stoplight uh, when he got that text from me. <laughs> And, uh, and he texted this, it was just off the cuff, and this is how genius he is, but he said, resilience is a relentless and unreasonable commitment to getting back up by any righteous means necessary. Um, and uh, when, I, when I think about Dale, um, and, and you too, John, um, that, that's exactly what you guys did. You got back up, and not, not only did you get back up, but I mean, because because really you could have you could have just mailed it in right i mean you know you're, good, you're medically retired 100% you know disabled you know your your bills will be taken care of and you could have mailed it in and just did whatever you wanted to do and and but but you and you and Dale decided to start an organization that that uh, that paid it forward uh, and backwards right and yeah, uh, really so i'm really uh, pleased with that we had a lot of civilians that that's exactly what they told us. They said, you know, why, why don't you just sit on the couch and just collect your check and just live yeah. your life and take care of your family. And, you know, somewhere along the line, there were a few unique uh, individuals that came along and said, that's not really enough. You can do more, right? Yeah. Don't give up. And and that was kind of the, the point at which we said, you know, you're right. And there's so many people that have invested into us that, you know, we don't want to let them down, right? And it was years of 
training and working and, mm-hmm. and you know trying to be your best and and I tell every, you know everybody I come in contact with that you know it's tough to go from being in the service and being that you know one percenter to coming home and being a civilian and transitioning and kind of finding a normal routine that's a really tough challenge and and we found that being around others that were like-minded and helping veterans and serving veterans to help them live out their best life was a place that we could feel um, that connectivity and that camaraderie again. And I, I was thinking about this as leaders, um, and and so, you know, most of the time, most of the time leaders aren't in the in the thick of it. We're, you know, you're given given direction to those that are that are in the thick of it, and and but that leadership is is um, uh, mission essential. Um, but there's a there's a burden that comes with that. Um, and it's called derivative stress, right? Where where the stress that uh, and the trauma that leaders go through many times is not the trauma that happened to them particularly, but it's the trauma that happened to others uh, as a result of the leadership decisions that 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 you've made. Um, both and we all make good ones and bad ones, right? And uh, but sometimes derivative stress, stress that that comes from trauma that we didn't we didn't actually participate in. Uh, or, or we're a victim of, that's sometimes the hardest trauma to overcome um, because uh, you don't know what to do with it, right? Um, you, you can't, um, I and mean, I was just interested to know, how, did, how does, uh, you know, someone who led, um, and, and both of you, Tim or Sonny, uh, maybe you can speak to this, how do you, how do, as a leader, how do you deal with that? It's dangerous. Um, I'm, I'm an expert at putting things in a box and forgetting about it. Yeah. And I did that after we redeployed in 2004. And Purple Heart Homes was created. I mean, my wife even helped try to get the radio station other support and things like that. And I volunteered here and there and touched it here and there. D- Dale had asked me to be on the board, and I declined it because I was so busy in my corporate America job and my National Guard career still and and never really – a live day to me didn't exist. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't. And then so when I had the privilege and honor of joining almost five years ago now, literally the month after Dale died, I mean, Dale and I saw each other at Sonny's dad's funeral, mm-hmm. ironically. I mean, it's so connected. And I was supposed to connect with him that weekend and didn't. He passed on. I saw John at the funeral and mm-hmm. got reconnected. The next alive day, it was it was pretty darn difficult for me mm-hmm. really really tough because uh, the box opened up and there it was yeah. pandora's box you've opened it now and a lot of those demons had to run around and get out of my head type mm-hmm. thing because i did i never resolved it and mm-hmm. so it took me a couple years to do that and then an incredible wife <laughs> yeah. that helped me through it and of course god almighty yeah. i mean that that's how i was able to get through it You're listening to Putting the Pieces Back Together by Purple Heart Homes. To donate and support, visit purplehearthomesusa.org. One in three adults in America have prediabetes, but most don't know it. To let people know it can be reversed before it becomes type 2 diabetes, professional basketball player Julius Randle is doing everything in reverse. I'm only dunking with reverse windmills. I drove the whole way to practice in reverse. I don't recommend it. This move's called the reverse shuffle. I do recommend it. And it took me months to learn how to speak in reverse, like this. Here's 10 almost for diabetes type 2 with living Ben has my mind. In other words, my mom has been living with type 2 diabetes for almost 10 years. So together, we want to say to the 84 million Americans at risk, exercise and healthy eating can help reverse prediabetes. Start by taking a simple one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. <laughs> Betty can't say that in reverse. Music is a bridge between the material and the spiritual. My name is Harvey Lauer, and I'm 82. As a blind person, you have to be aware that nobody can tell you what you can or can't do. You really have to try things. My folks got me a little radio in 1940, and that was the best Christmas present I ever got. When I was 11 years old is when I started to uh, play music, play the piano, and then the accordion, and then the cello. 
My wife, who was also blind, was a good cook. When she died, that's when I started Meals on Wheels. America, let's do lunch. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. What does resolution look like, right? You know, I mean, I, I, mean, I don't think it's a cookie-cutter uh, approach to things. I mean, I think resolution is time, um, um, and then and then having opportunities to to make impact ourselves. That's one of the things that I see with combat veterans who uh, who struggle with uh, combat trauma is um, one of the things that uh, creates that space for healing is their ability uh, and the opportunity to serve others, um, where they're not so inwardly focused and they become outwardly focused uh, and helping yeah. to improve the lives of people around them. Um, that creates a pathway for healing. I guess it's a really great point, Brad. It's one of the best things that's uh, happened for me in, in my own recovery. This idea of, you know, wanting to, you know, help other veterans. Yeah, that sounds good. But the reality is, in some ways, it's kind of been selfish that you you realize that by helping others, you, you see other injuries and you realize that, you know, at some point, well, I really don't have it that bad. <laughs> right. And, and you start getting this intentionality about using your best assets and resources to help other people. And, and I, I know it's painful, but I also believe that, you know, having conversation and being open about, you know, some realities can help you accept some of the, the things that you've been through and, and how it, it sets you up to be able to move to the next space, right? Mm-hmm. Not just get stuck in that space of, I don't want to talk about it and I'm denying it. And, mm-hmm. you know, you have to be able to move forward. And, and so helping others is a great place to do that. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Well, and, I'm, and I'm so grateful we're, we're sharing this. And, and I would be remiss, though, if I didn't uh, bring this up, is that um, um, the... Um, uh, the 30th Brigade received a presidential unit citation at some point in time, and I'm going to. We gonna have, we have one him over. No, we I'm have gonna, one wow. him over. Oh. Well, Thank you, only, gentlemen. Thank it, you. It's only because of Sonny is here, right? <laughs> Not because of y'all, but, but and to well, honor Sonny. Because he single handedly got the award for us. Oh, He's go. the greatest so, uh, commander that the 30th has <laughs> ever had. So uh, tell us about what in the world is a presidential unit citation, and how does something like that come about? It's, I'll tell you, it's such a great story, and I have to tell a story to tell a story. Um, when we came back from Iraq in 2004, 2005, we found out that there was a group of World War II veterans from the 30th that had gotten together every year since World War II. So starting in 1947, I think it was, they, they would all get together at these huge conventions, and there would be thousands of them. Well, now it's, you know, 60 years later, yeah. there weren't that many of them left, there were, but they were still getting together every year, and they invited the, you know, the current generation of combat veterans to join their association, the 30th Infantry Division Association. So we started going to their meetings, and, and that's when we found out about this. Uh, the, the 30th during World War II was, was noted as the number one distinguished infantry division in the theater. Hmm. And they were recommended for the presidential <laughs> unit citation. Poor Brad. And, but, but it was never awarded. Um, right. it, through whatever administrative process, it was overlooked and never awarded. Um, so some friends of mine, primarily Wes Morrison, who currently commands the 30th Brigade, he wanted to write that wrong. And they started a campaign. And, it, and it's funny, one of the World War II veterans, when President Trump came to Charlotte, we had strategically placed him in the line to greet President Trump and he had a copy of the presidential unit citation recommendation and he handed it to President Trump and said you need to fix this no kidding and uh, and, uh, King Kenny is his name still alive still lives here locally God bless him great great American and uh, and that's how what got the process regenerated and and (laughs) but it did it came to fruition uh, about three years ago and we were able to the for the surviving Veterans of World War II were actually able to pin that you know presidential unit citation. Oh, on really cool. And so some some really storied history there in World War II. Tell us a little bit about what the citation was <laughs> awarded for. Primarily for actions in August of 1944 at the Battle of Mortain. And you know we could. I'm I'm not a history 
buff, but I love the 30th Division. And, you know, the 30th went ashore at Omaha Beach behind the 1st Infantry Division, then did a passage of lines in Mortain, France, and what was supposed to be that the 1st Infantry Division had not seen any action to that point. And it was a, it was a high-five kind of thing, hey, rest in place here, we're going to reset. Well, then the Germans attacked with three Panzer divisions on the 30th, and they were surrounded and isolated for over a week and completely cut off, and they defeated this this infantry division of, of you know, citizen soldiers from North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, defeated three German panzer <laughs> divisions. Awesome. Just old farm kids, you know, doing their thing. Yeah. And what that allowed, it really changed the war. It allowed um, Omar Bradley to conduct the breakout um, and which, you know, the rest is history. Oh, wait wait history. a minute, sir. Did I just hear you say yeah, that I the 30th you, yeah. won the war? Yeah, that's yeah. what, I, think that's I, what heard. I heard. That is that's exactly what I, what I heard. And the artillery it. of the 30th. I, yeah. I will tell you, had they not been there, the war would have been a completely different outcome. Yeah. Let me wow. break out my other, yeah, the Battle of Tours, the Battle of Hastings. <laughs> Haters uh, going to hate. Yeah. Bunker Hill, Saratoga, the yeah. Battle of Bosworth Field. So but, we got we got just a few minutes left here. Uh, Tim, is there anything you'd like to add as we uh, prepare to close? Uh, no, I guess just staying in line with why the two of you have this radio station um, and it's trying to bring awareness to us as veterans and putting those pieces back together. Uh, there's a lot of ways that we can suppress uh, what needs to happen. And it's this right here with a bunch of veterans in the room is sharing and healing. Mm. It's a great thing. Uh, so I, I greatly appreciate it. And so Parker's going to share with us a little bit about an upcoming event and ways that uh, you can get involved. As you hear, there's a lot of camaraderie here, but there's also a little bit of rivalry. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Parker shares some of what's coming up next. So as everybody knows, on December 10th is the Army-Navy game. It's one of the most historic football games there is. And this Army dog is going to issue a challenge to all you Navy squids out there. <laughs> Go to purplehardhomesusa.org and um, sign up. Get your T-shirt. There's a... Go Army Beat Navy t-shirt. There might be something about Navy possibly beating the Army on there Good as Navy. well. <laughs> so it, like Marines like this will be obnoxious on that day. We also have a fundraiser around there, and it's a challenge from the services. The senior service is going to win the challenge. Go there, sign up to be a fundraiser for your service, and at the end of the whole thing, we're going to take all the money collected, and we're going to help a veteran of that service just before Christmas get taken care of their project. Oh, that's pretty awesome. So go to phhusa.org so and look for the Army-Navy game. And there will be a viewing party locally here in North Carolina as there well. There will be. Yeah, so you can get together with your friends and, and uh, watch the game uh, and pull for Army, as every good American should do. <laughs> pull for that's Navy. Right. Very, right. very, very cool shirts available. Wait, I thought you were yeah. a Marine. So that's awesome. We, I tell you, we've got to have you guys back. Thank you, Colonel Simpson. Thank you, Lieutenant Colonel Mangum. Appreciate y'all so much for uh, joining us on the show today and for uh, helping to share in the story of our live day. Uh, if you missed any part of the show, you can find it on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And I am just thrilled to announce next week's guest is Medal of Honor recipient Leroy Petrie. This is a show you don't want to miss. It is going to be a showstopper. It's going to be epic. Yep. So all right. Thanks, thank everybody. Thank you all. Hope you have a great rest of your week. And remember, you can get involved with Purple Heart Homes by visiting our website, phhusa.org. Purple Heart Homes presents Putting the Pieces Back Together, a forum for veterans and the community to connect with your hosts, John Galena and Brad Borders. Visit purplehearthomesusa.org for ways you can support. The proceeding was a paid program. WOR's airing of this program constitutes neither an endorsement of the products offered or the ideas expressed. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.